Our topic today is Sankara. We translate it as fabrication, volitional formations, habitual tendencies. I prefer the translation fabrication, but the word Sankara in Pali literally means to put together. And it deals with the extent to which we put together our experience. Experience is not a given. There are raw materials coming in from our past actions. But in the present moment, we fabricate our present experience out of that raw material. And we do it in ways that we are often not aware of. And understanding the extent to which we do fabricate our experience makes us sensitive to how we can do it in a more skillful way. And ultimately, how we can use fabrications to find a happiness that is unfabricated, something that is not subject to being put together. Because everything that is put together arises, stays for a while, and passes away. There's nothing really lasting about it. And to understand the importance of fabrication in the Buddha's teachings, it's good to think, stop and think for a bit about the Buddha's own quest for awakening. He basically tried three paths that we know of. Um, two of them turned out to be false paths. One path was the path of forcing the mind into stillness, thinking that you could find an undying happiness just by making the mind still through willing it to be still. But then he discovered the fact that he had willed it to be still meant that it too was fabricated and was not going to last. So he tried another path, the path of austerities. He decided that he would burn away the impurities in mind in the hopes that there was some pre-existing pure state that could be attained when all desire for pleasure was burned away. That didn't work out. He realized he would have died if he'd continued with that path. The path that did work, though, was one in which he remembered as a child, he'd gotten the mind into concentration spontaneously. And instead of trying to teach, use the concentration as the goal of the path, you use it as part of the path itself. In other words, you intentionally fabricate a path to becoming, excuse me, a fabricated a path to the deathless, which involves the process of what's called becoming, where you take on an identity in a particular world of experience. And this can be your identity as a human being in this human world right now. Or it can be momentary identities that you take on in the mind as you think about various things that you would like to do. Desires that you have and your sense of you as the person who would benefit from having that desire fulfilled and you as the person who can actually get the desire fulfilled. That's the process of becoming. They found that by fabricating a path, they could take you to the threshold of something that was unfabricated, which, at which point you have to abandon the path. Now, in abandoning it, you can't destroy it because that would be giving into what the Bodhisattva was craving for non-becoming, which too was a, a cause for suffering. And so what you have to do is you have to find the raw material out of which becomings are made before they coalesce into becoming a sense of who you are in a world of experience develop this passion for those raw materials before they can create a state of becoming. And then the process will allow the process to stop on its own. Well, it turns out that the raw material for these becomings are the processes of fabrication. These are intentional acts. So what you have here is a, a path that is, uses fabrication strategically. It uses them to create the path to view fabrications from the point of view of the concentrated mind. You can see the processes of fabrication as they happen in the mind. 
And then finally, you have to abandon them. That includes ultimately abandoning even, even the path of concentration and the discernment that you developed. This is why two of the prominent images in the canon of the practice are one, the image of a raft, and two, the image of a mirror. In the case of the raft, you have to get across to the other side of the river if you want to find safety. And so there's no nirvana yacht that's going to come and pick you up. So you have to put together a raft from twigs and sticks and things that you find on this side of this side of the stream at the side of the river. And then you hold on to the raft and you use it to cross. You use your hands, you use your feet, which is a symbol for right effort. <clears throat> and then you get to the other side, and that's when you let it go. You step onto the shore, you don't need the raft anymore. As for the image of the mirror, one of the prominent themes in the practice, and we'll be going over this many times during the course of the day, is that when you're looking at fabrications, you're not just looking at fabrications outside. When you get the mind into concentration, you develop discernment, you develop insight, use it, analyzing things outside. But then you have to turn around and look at the fact that your concentration, the activity of insight itself, is something that's fabricated. That too has to be let go. So these two images give an idea of the strategy that's involved with fabrication. And to understand the Buddhist teachings, which them, themselves are fabrications that the Buddha left behind. After all, any, any language is involved in the process of fabrication. We have to read his teachings strategically too, realizing that they're not ends in themselves. We're not trying to just arrive at right view. But the nature of all fabrications is that they're for the sake of some purpose. In this case, that they're for the purpose of finding the deathless, putting an end to suffering. So, for example, with the Four Noble Truths, they do have duties associated with them. The duties of the truths are for the sake of the cessation of suffering. And these are related to that theme that I just mentioned now, that we're going to use fabrications, so to view fabrications, and then to abandon them. With the viewing of the fabrications, that has to do with the First Noble Truth. You want to see the process of fabrication, understand why it's happening, and gain a sense of its value. When it's useful, when it's not useful. Because insight is not only seeing things as they are, but making value judgments about how useful things are for the purpose of putting an end to suffering. As for abandoning, that happens, that relates to the duty with the second noble truth, which is craving, you have to let it go. And finally, we use the fabrications, <clears throat> the fabrications of, of the noble path, <coughs> the fourth noble, fourth noble truth. And so in, in line with the image of the raft, the questions we're going to be dealing with is how far do you use fabrications before you let them go? Which kind of fabrications should be treated in which way? In line with which duty of the Four Noble Truths? And finally, how far should they be, be developed before you know when and how to abandon them? Now there's a passage where the Buddha said that if you want to develop insight, you go to someone and you ask them how to regard fabrications how to investigate fabrications, and how to see fabrications with insight. Those three verbs, regard, investigate, and see with insight, those are going to form the framework for the, our discussion today. This morning, we're going to talk about issues of regarding fabrications, how you view them, how you get a sense of how you can understand the process of fabrication and the different types of fabrication and some of their uses along the path. Then this afternoon, we'll go into the questions of how to investigate fabrications and how to see them with insight for the purpose of getting beyond them. 
Now, in terms of regarding fabrications, as I said, fabrications are intentional actions. These can be physical or mental actions and the conditions that they shape. As the Buddha said, fabrications have three um, defining characteristics. One, they arise. Two, they pass away. And three, they alter while they are staying. He says the opposite, the unfabricated has three, three characteristics. There's no arising, no passing away, and no alteration while staying. Now that's a very radical proposition the Buddha is giving us right there. Every change you experience in all your six senses comes from fabrication, which means that you're putting more into the shaping of your experience than you may think. You're simply seeing an image with the eye. It's not the case that you, you just leave it there as an image on the eye. You try to interpret in terms of three-dimensional space. This, what, what is this object? Where is the object? How is it located in relationship to other objects in space? And all that's going on in the mind as soon as you see something. Also, the judgment you, you place on things in terms of whether they're worthwhile or not, whether they're interesting or not, those two are fabrications. The fact that you're actually engaging in your senses comes from an intentional act. So we're going to be digging pretty deeply into our experience here, because everything that we experience in the senses is fabricated. The Buddha gives a, an image, he says, it's like we get raw material from the past, and then we shape it into our actual experience with the process of fabrication in the present moment. So we're, the purpose of the path, first off, is to become more sensitized to what those intent, subtle intentional actions are so we can see them in action. And instead of doing them in ignorance, and we can do them with knowledge. If you do them with ignorance, you're gonna suffer. If you do them with knowledge, they can become a part of the end of the path to the end of suffering. There are two main frameworks for understanding the fabrications. The first is the five aggregates, and the second is what the Buddha simply calls three types of fabrication. Now, both of them apply to the first, second, and fourth noble truth. In other words, the Buddha's analysis of suffering, his analysis of the cause of suffering, will involve understanding these, these two sets of fabrications. And also, as we develop the path, we're going to be engaged in, in these two sets of fabrications as well. We'll use them to develop dispassion, fabrication in the first and second noble truth. And then ultimately, after we develop the, the fourth noble truth, we have to use them to develop dispassion for our concentration and insight. This is where that image of the mirror comes in. But first, let's talk about the five aggregates. The five aggregates are form, feeling, perceptions, fabrications itself, and then consciousness. <clears throat> As they're related to the first noble truth, these are the clinging aggregates. In other words, you we cling to them, and because we cling to these things, and clinging, the word for clinging, upadana, also means that we take sustenance so that we feed on these things. And that's the Buddha's analysis for suffering. Every case, he says, where the mind suffers is going to be an instance of clinging aggregates. Now, these aggregates, clinging aggregates, play a role in sensory experience in general. As the Buddha said, you, can't, you see a form, there's going to be a feeling that arises from the form, then you have a perception about the form, you identify it with the perception, and then you elaborate it with, with 
thought constructs, which count as fabrications. And then you're conscious of all these processes. So that's one role for the, for the aggregates. The other role is that we use them to construct our primary, excuse me, the, the, the primary element of becoming, which is our sense of self. Who we are is made out of different aggregates, or our sense of who we are. That's an important distinction. The Buddha never defines what you actually are. He says if you define what you are, you limit yourself. But the way we go through life, we tend to define ourselves around the aggregates. In other words, either we identify ourselves as our body, or as our feelings, or as our perceptions, thoughts, constructs, or any combination of these. Or we feel that we are the owners of these things, or we feel that these things are inside us, or, these thing, or, or we are inside these things. Um, for instance, we may decide that we are, we are an infinite state of consciousness, and all the other aggregates that we identify with exist within that infinite state of consciousness. So these are the two main roles for the, the aggregates in the first noble truth. But that in, just in sensory experience in general, deals with the five aggregates, and in our raw material from which we construct our sense of self. Now let's look at the five aggregates in more detail. Uh, as I said, they, these are related to clinging, and, and the word for clinging was related to feeding. And I think the best way to understand the aggregates is to think about how you go about looking for food. Um, you start with the form, you've got the form of your body, and you've got the form of the food that you're thinking of looking for the body in order to sustain the body. You've got the feeling, in, the case, in this case, it's the feeling of hunger that drives you to look for food, and then followed by the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of fullness, a pleasant feeling that comes when you've eaten. In terms of perception, you, one, you perceive what kind of hunger you have. So what would I like today? Would I like an ice cream cone? Would I like something salty? Would I, would I like a relationship? I mean, all kinds of feeding can come under this, under this type of clinging. Once you've identified the feeling, then you look outside. Okay, what kind of food out there exists that could satisfy this hunger? In fact, this is how we negotiate our way through the world from the very beginning. In other words, looking for what we can eat. You see a child crawling across the floor. They run across a little block or something like that. What's the first thing the child does? Uh, sticks it right in the mouth to see if it's edible or not. That's our first, that's our first primary perception, edible or not edible. It can be eaten or not eaten. Once you've identified something that could be food, then the next question is, what do you have to do in order to get that food? And then once you've gotten it, what do you have to do in order to make it something that you can eat? If you get a raw potato, you can't eat it as it is. You have to do something with it. All of this is fabrication. And then finally, consciousness would be your awareness of all these processes as they go on. Now, there's an anomaly in here in that the term fabrication is one of the aggregates, but it also covers all five. And that's explained by what I said just now which is that our past karma presents us with the raw material for our present experience, but it doesn't become a present experience until we fabricated it into specific aggregates. They're like there's a potential for a feeling, and then we fabricate it into the actual feeling. There are potentials for perception, there are potentials for thought constructs, and we fabricate them into these things. What this means is that all the aggregates play an intentional, purposeful role. 
Now, these, act these aggregates are ongoing activities. They're not just the results of our past actions. The Buddha actually defines them by verbs. Feeling, feels, perception, perceives, fabrication, fabricates, con consciousness, cognizes. So they're activities that we're engaged in all the time. And we, when we say, if you say you cling to an activity, it basically means you do it again and again and again, usually without reference to whether it's actually getting the results you want. But you have this compulsion to just keep repeating the activity in hopes that you find the sweet pepper in the bushel. You probably know the story. Now, in some of the descriptions, these aggregates arise prior to sensory contact, and others, they come after. In other words, prior to sensory contact, you have some intentions. You're looking for something, and then you go out and look in the world to try to find that what it is that you want. That's the intentional element. And then in other cases, something comes up, you know, a sight appears or a sound, a sound appears, and then you develop some intentions around that sound or around that sight. So there's a reciprocal role here. Your, your sensory input is shaped by your, the, the, the aggregates of fabrication, and then your fabrications can be put into, into motion by your sensory input. There's a similar reciprocal role with regard to the sense of self. In other words, you give rise to a desire for something, and in, in, in the case of having that desire, you, you have to have a sense of who you are who's going to benefit from having that desire fulfilled, and then who you are who, is, who has the talent in order to do it, or has the ability to do it. Like you might get a desire for a pizza right now. You say, okay, when the Zoom meeting is over, I'm going, to, I'm going to order a pizza. And so on the one hand, the you there is the you who's going to enjoy the pizza. But the you there is also the you who knows how to get a pizza. Who can either order it or find some way of sneaking out and getting it, getting it to store someplace. So that, that would be a case in which the, you know, the, the intention arises prior to the sense of self. But then the Buddha also says that once you've developed a sense of self, then in order to maintain that sense of self and in order to feed that sense of self requires that you give rise to more fabrications. So those, those, that's the role played by the aggregates in the first and the second noble truth. Now in the fourth noble truth, Buddha says we can use these aggregates to shape a state of concentration. And it's interesting to note that the state of concentration that you can shape with the aggregates is kind of like food for the mind. When the Buddha compares the different elements in the path, in a particular image he has of a fortress, um, concentration is the food. The right effort is the soldiers, um, learning is there are the weapons, mindfulness is the gatekeeper. But concentration is what feeds the right effort and what feeds the right mindfulness. And so just as the five aggregates are best understood around the process of feeding, you can think of the five aggregates as creating the food of, con food of concentration for the path. For instance, with the breath, that would be form, the body as you feel it. And then you, as you stay with that the breath, then you create a feeling of well-being, that's the aggregate of feeling. You have to hold in mind a perception of the breath, 
in order to keep the mind anchored. And then you talk to yourself in the beginning stages about the breath. Is the breath comfortable? Is it not comfortable? What can I do to make it more comfortable? Once it is comfortable, how do I maintain it? Once I maintain it, how do I get the most out of it by spreading that sense of well-being through the body? All of that is fabrication. And then consciousness is your awareness of all these processes. So here you have, as you're doing the path, you've got the aggregates right there. In fact, that's your primary hands-on experience with getting a sense of what these aggregates are. As you make them into a state of concentration, you begin to get a sense. And when the Buddha is talking about perception, what is he talking about? When he's talking about fabrication, what is he talking about? You've learned this through creating that state of concentration. Now, as you have the state of concentration, it gives you a non-central bliss that allows you to see both how the other fabrications you may have, other forms, other ways of searching for pleasure are not nearly as good as this. So what you're seeing here is, one, the fact of fabrication, that you are putting these things together, and two, you're getting a sense of the relative value. I mean, you could fabricate a desire, say, for, for ice cream right now, or you could fabricate a desire to get the mind to settle down. And you can tell, ask yourself, well, which of these two processes would be more worthwhile? Which gives a longer, state, longer, more lasting state of happiness. And this is important. This isn't going to be important as we go through the day. When we talk about fabrication, you have to see, one, the fact of fabrication, the extent to which you are putting your experience together. And then two, the relative value. Insight is going to be a value judgment as to which fabrications are worthwhile getting involved with, which ones are not. Because after all, you have to put energy into these things in order to have them. So it's not like you're switching channels, just watching one TV show and then switching to another TV show. You're actually having to produce the TV shows before you can watch them. And then you have to ask yourself, well, which ones are going to be worth, worth watching? I've often used this as a technique when I'm meditating and then distracting thoughts come up in the mind. And I ask myself, if this were a movie, would I pay to see it? Usually the answer is no. The acting is horrible. I, the, you can see, you can see the, this plot down, miles down the road. And so the Buddha is basically saying, look at all of your experience that way. It's, it's just, see the effort that you put into putting these things together. And then you can ask yourself, is it really worth it? You have so many choices in life as to how you want to put your experience together. What would be the best ways to do that? So insight will involve both seeing the fact of fabrication, as I said, and getting a sense of the relative value of doing the fabrication. We'll come back to these two steps as we discuss more advanced stages of insight in, in this afternoon. So those are the five aggregates. There's a one way in which the Buddha has you analyze the processes of fabrication as you get involved with them. Now there's another way of analyzing, which the Buddha simply calls the three fabrications, which are bodily, verbal, and mental fabrication. Now the list of these three comes in, um, in the context of dependent core arising. It's the very first element that comes in dependent core arising after ignorance. These fabrications are conditioned by ignorance, and then they condition consciousness. Now in, in the context of dependent core arising, their meaning isn't clear. Is the Buddha talking about fabrications that 
say would shape one lifetime to the next, or are they talking about fabrications of your present experience right here and now? However, there are other contexts where the Buddha talks about these three types of fabrication, and it's it turns out that they apply in both cases, both to how you shape your experience in the present moment, and also how you how your actions in one lifetime can have an impact on shaping future lifetimes. For example, in, in the context of the first and second noble truth, the Buddhist talks about these three fabrications, bodily, verbal, and mental, as the karma leading to rebirth. In this case, they simply mean bodily action, verbal action, mental action, or intentional action. And he says that these these different types of these different types of fabrication can lead either to bright rebirth, dark rebirth, mixed, or they can lead to pleasure, pain, or what's called the imperturbable when you get into states of formless formless concentration. So, in terms of the first and second noble truth, the Buddha is talking about the karma, bodily, verbal, and mental karma, as it has an impact from one lifetime to the next. Now, in terms, in the context of the fourth noble truth, the Buddha gives a definition of these three types of fabrication as they play a role in your in your concentration. In this case, bodily fabrication is your in and out breathing. Verbal fabrication is directed thought and evaluation. In other words, you direct your thoughts to a particular meditation topic, like the breath, and then you evaluate it: is the breath good? Is it not good? These questions I mentioned earlier. What, what can I do to make the breath more comfortable? When it is comfortable, how do I keep it comfortable? How do I make the most out of it? All of that counts as verbal fabrication. And then finally, mental fabrication are perceptions and feelings. In this case, you would have the per perception, the act of identifying, say, the breath, or identifying a feeling of pleasure. And then the feelings that you have, these things shape the mind. And when the Buddha defines these things, even though he does it in the context of states of concentration, the definitions are not limited just to concentration. And this is an important lesson that you learn, that as you get more sensitive to these, process, these three types of fabrication in your, in your concentration practice, you begin to realize that you, you engage in them all day long. The way you experience your body is going to be influenced by the way you breathe. The things that you say are going to be influenced by the things you direct your thoughts to and the way you evaluate those topics. As the Buddha said, before you break into speech, you have to direct your thought to a topic and then evaluate it, come up with some comment on it or question about it. So this is, this is something you're doing all the time as you go through the day. And the same with perceptions and feelings. You're, you go through the day and you get a sense of how perceptions shape your experience of, say, when you're dealing with another person, you're dealing with their boss, and you realize that you have a perception in the back of the mind that the boss is a monster. That's going to have a big impact on how you engage with the boss. So these, these three types of fabrication are happening all the time. Simply that as you get in the mind into concentration, you get more and more conscious of what you're doing and how you're doing it. Sometimes you hear people saying, well, well I, I, I'm told to get into John, I have to do directed thought and evaluation. So how do I, what, what, what is direct thought and what is evaluation? And I keep telling people, these are things you're already doing. The Buddha is simply telling you, do them in a more consistent and more focused way.
Now, there is an argument that these two different contexts, rebirth and concentration, are totally separate, that when the Buddha is talking about bodily, verbal, and mental fabrication in the context of rebirth, he's talking about one thing. When he's talking about bodily, verbal, and mental fabrication in the context of concentration, he's talking about something else that's not related. But I don't see an advantage to seeing those things as not related. Actually, if you can, you realize that you know, any bodily action you're going to do has to start with the breath. Any verbal action you're going to do has to start with directed thought and evaluation. And any mental action is going to have to start with feelings and perceptions. So it's very useful to see that these things are directly connected. In other words, when you're sitting and meditating, you're seeing the processes that can shape not only this lifetime, this immediate moment, but also the rest of your lifetime and on into future lifetimes. It's all happening right here. It's in this way you gain sensitivity again to the fact of fabrication. You see that the way you breathe is something that you can change at will. You can direct your thoughts, you can evaluate things at will, you can change things as you like. And you can even come up with new perceptions that will have an impact on the feelings that you focus on and how you interpret them. And so you're seeing the fact of fabrication as you go through, the, go through your life. And you're also seeing the relative value of these things. You begin to realize that because you have choices, you, you're not just stuck with things as they are, but you have potentials that you can develop. And you, have to, you want to get a sense of what, what potentials are worth developing and which ones are not. So that's, those are my thoughts this morning on fabrication, on, on basically on regarding fabrication, which basically means understanding the, the two main contexts that the Buddha uses for understanding fabrications, which are the five aggregates, and then the three types of fabrication, and how both of these contexts are used on the one hand, to analyze and understand suffering in the first and second noble truth, suffering and its cause. But also, they're going to be useful in developing the path to the end of suffering. And this is a particular feature of the Buddhist teachings, which is that if you're going to understand these, understand these things, you have to make something good out of them first. So it's not like you're on one side of a divide looking at fabrications on another side. You're on this side using these fabrications, mastering them as, as skills, so that you can look at, okay, this is what a well-fabricated experience is like. And you look at your other experiences as you've gone through life and realize you haven't fabricated them quite so well. So you see both the fact of, of fabrication and you get a sense of the relative value, that you can learn to master these things as skills. And you have to master them as skills before you ultimately can let go. So if you want to look into understanding these five aggregates on the one hand or the three types of fabrication on the other, look at how you are meditating, look at how you are trying to gain insight into the things that weigh the mind down. And on the one hand, you'll, you'll be able to analyze the problem out there. And once that problem out there is taken care of, then you can analyze the techniques that you're using in order to analyze the problem and see that these two are fabrications, ultimately you can let go. And that's how true freedom is found. So that was, the, that was the path that the Buddha found. After trying to will himself to awaken, he realized he couldn't will himself. But if he, he realized if you took a more strategic approach, creating the path and then learning how to abandon the path skillfully, then, you can able, then, then the Buddha was able to gain awakening. 
and so we can take him as our guide. So that's the talk for this morning.